We're back at the Christchurch Podcast for another Get to Know You with the staff, but today we're going to do things a little differently. I'm going to be interviewed. Uh, my interviewer is going to be Grant Caldwell, Discipleship Pastor. Grant, turn it over to you. Yes, welcome uh, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. I, I think I would have actually preferred you interviewing yourself and doing it as a monologue question and answer and maybe adding in some voices, but... Part two. Part two. I guess I'll step in in lieu of that. that that's probably the more sane option. You know, I think so. I think people... So I don't know. I bet you could pull out some good good voices to interview yourself. And so this is all a cheap ploy to get me to do cartoon voices. There we go. Let's let's begin with some icebreakers. For those that know you, they know you love music. Mm-hmm. For those that don't know you, they just found that out. So tell me this, how many concerts have you been to and what's the most concerts that you've seen in one year? I've I've seen concerts all my life, but I consider my first one to have been in 2006. Since 2006, I have been to nearly 900. I think I'm sitting around 875 at the moment. I know I'm forgetting some. Like I know there's probably 20 to 50 that I'm just forgetting about, so that number is probably a little higher. Uh, The most I've seen in one year was 2019. I saw 162, uh, so I guess it was just a precursor to not getting to see any in 2020. But yeah, so I'm sitting around 900, to say it safely. Sitting around 900 concerts. Okay, to quote Ted Lasso, first concert, best concert. Best concert, Paul McCartney. Uh, first concert, <laughs> I'm showing my Mississippi roots here, uh, Leonard Skinner and the Allman Brothers. Nice. Okay, what was a concert that you had low expectations for, but then they blew you away? I, I mean, definitely Paul McCartney. When I saw him in 2010, so he's probably 40 years past his prime, uh, some would say. And I I went in thinking it was just going to be another classic rock legacy artist show. And, you know, the Beatles music really just transcends generations. It transcends time. At one point, I was just weeping during the show because it was so amazing. And, you know, he, he just he completely blew me out of the water. Okay, so you've got almost 900 shows, but I'm assuming your music collection goes beyond that. Yes. Record collection? I do have a record collection. Uh, I started in 2010. uh, A friend, his father had passed away, and when he was cleaning out his storage unit, he found a box of records, about 30 records, give or take, and he was like, Lance loves music, I'll give these to him. And so that started my record collection, and since then... I'm sitting at about 1,200 records right now. So I've got a few albums in my collection. A, a few, yes, a, a few albums. Okay, the pressing question, are you an Apple Music or a Spotify guy? Oh, Spotify, 100%. Okay. have been since 2011. Okay. And last thing is, is, where did this love of music come from? What got you into huh. concerts and record collecting? And has this just always been a passion for you? Or did something kick this off? I mean, my mom... She grew up playing music. She was a piano player and a singer, so I probably inherited it from her. Uh, you know, my dad, like most teenagers, loved, you know, growing up in the 70s, he kind of, you know, had saw Peter Frampton and a lot of the big names like that. So I, I think I had kind of osmosis from him listening to classic rock in the car. But, I mean, I grew up, like, I'm weird in the fact that, like, for, like, seven or eight years of my life, I exclusively listened to Elvis um, like, I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say that was literally the only thing I listened to for like eight years of my young life. Then I kind of slowly transitioned into classic rock and just 
it kind of just all encompassed me. It made sense, uh, you know, like most teenagers latching onto music because it makes sense and explains feelings that you can't explain. But for some reason that carried over to adulthood. And I mean, now it, it really is just my, my biggest hobby and my biggest passion for some reason. That's so cool. Tell me about you, Lance. Uh, where, where did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in different parts of Mississippi. I was born in Hattiesburg. My family was living in Wiggins, Mississippi at the time, which is a really small, small, small town. When I was around seven years old, we moved to Vicksburg. And when I was 12 years old, actually on my 12th birthday, we moved to Brandon, Mississippi. And then I went to school in Oxford at Ole Miss, and then I moved to Tupelo. So I've, I've literally lived all over the state of Mississippi. Okay. Tell me about your family growing up. Yeah. So my dad is a Southern Baptist minister. He's been doing that his whole life, pretty much. So I grew up with him as a, a minister working primarily with adults. Uh, my mom does like bookkeeping and kind of stuff like that. Uh, and you said you went to Ole Miss. I did go to Ole Miss. Okay. Uh, what'd you study there? Yeah, so I, I went to Ole Miss. I, I studied journalism. I had this grand idea of being a music journalist. Uh, so I really put all my eggs into that basket. And, you know, I started working for the school newspaper, The Daily Mississippian. I started as a news reporter, worked my way up to city news editor. And then I started to realize just with the technology that was coming out and the way it was shaping journalism specifically, that it was going to be incredibly hard to do the things that I wanted to do. So uh, I was going to get an MBA, but just it, it just didn't work out. I wasn't feeling it. And so I still graduated with journalism. And then that summer following, I decided to go back to school and get a degree in marketing. So two more years of undergrad, basically double majored in journalism and marketing. Journalism and marketing. And did you work in that field after college or... I put both degrees to good use, and I moved to Tupelo, like I was saying, and I worked for the city of Tupelo, Mississippi, as their online content manager, which is a fancy way of saying I did social media okay. for the city of Tupelo. So it was really, it was kind of cool to bring it back to Elvis because I was pushing the Elvis product. We were encouraging everyone to come see where it all started before they went to Memphis. I, it was really cool. Like I remember when I went in for the job interview in the lobby of our offices, they had one of Elvis's jumpsuits, two of them actually. And I just remember walking in, being completely caught off guard. And I just stood there and stared at him for a few minutes. And they're like, Lance, you want to come back? I'm like, oh yeah, let's do, let's do the interview. That's why I'm here. So it was really cool for me to like have my small hand in working with the Elvis product uh, all these years later after growing up such a fan of his music. That's really cool. And, and what many people may not know is you actually went viral working there <laughs> making a video. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there was a, it was a small viral. There was, uh, so for one Halloween, I, I made a video. Uh, I went out to the birthplace one late one night, probably around midnight or so. And I set up a camera and I, I threw a sheet over my head and ran across the screen after a few seconds of silence. And then on Halloween day, I posted the video saying like, Oh, look, a ghost was seen at Elvis's birthplace. And it, blew up and it became like every year the mayor shares it over and over again like it's consistently brought up every halloween and it's the the thing that i want to be remembered for that's definitely not it but but it works it works it's it's definitely what people remember me for in tupelo <laughs> <laughs> and the after tupelo uh did you continue in content creating work yes i i moved to memphis uh, i worked for an ad agency here in memphis for a little while I was doing social media for them. I had 
I had five clients. One of the clients had about a hundred accounts within that client. So I, I was managing quite a handful of clients while I was doing social media for them. Okay. And then you went from there to beginning to work here at Christ yep. Church. Yep. From there to from there to Christ Church, it was definitely um I was I was looking for a career change. I was kind of tired of doing social media. Surprisingly, social media wears on you. Yeah, it, it can be a very toxic place when you spend eight plus hours a day hanging out with people online, especially. So I was looking to get more back into my marketing roots, more broad as to what I was doing. So I opened up my job search and landed here. And how long have you been here at Christ Church? I started at Christ Church in twenty January twenty seventeen. And many people may not be aware of who you are or what you do. So what all do you do? Maybe (laughs) I'm not sure fully what all you do. What all does your role encompass here at Christ Church? Yeah, so I I, I was hired to be a graphic designer in 2017. And about uh, not even six months into the job, it was kind of apparent that I I do a lot more than graphic design and to use my talents fully that was kind of underselling me. So I, I kind of took on more of a, like a marketing assistant role uh, in addition to doing graphic design. And during the pandemic, we kind of saw we were lacking in a lot of ways in our communications department. So they changed my title to digital content strategist, which if you're like me, you're probably like, what is that? That doesn't make any sense. So basically now I have a hand in all of the content that goes out, like all the podcasts, blogs, all that kind of content that you see out there the in the newsletter things like that i have a hand in creating and putting together uh, it, it's also my responsibility to draw traffic to the website i can give an example like since we've started doing these blogs we've seen uh, like a 45% increase in web traffic specifically just from the blogs um so it's little things like that that i'm kind of responsible for bringing people together through online means that's really cool what uh, what excites you about your role I'm thinking about your Linton podcast where you're talking about measuring success. And my, my initial reaction was like, yay, more visitors to our website that, you know, that's exciting. But I mean, it really is cool just to be able to see God's reach through these blogs that we're creating. I mean, just the, you know, when Paul writes a blog and we, we put it out there and when I start to promote it and push it out in different means, like, we have people from the Philippines and parts of Africa, parts of different other parts of Asia that are visiting our website. And we're seeing an increase in our traffic from not just here in Memphis and Tennessee and even our neighboring states, but we're really having a global reach with a yeah. lot of the content that we're putting out there. I mean, and so to have that kind of reach, it's really profound and impactful. And it means a lot that we're having this gospel reach just through the, the Internet. Yeah, it's so cool. Well, and, and as as Methodists, we're inherently connectional and we're inherently global. And so to be the arm of our church that's doing that yeah. is really cool. Yeah, and, it, and, and you know, I have a lot of ideas about expanding that, making this something much, much larger than what it currently is. And we're working towards that and we're getting there. And, you know, the ideas excite me, like the idea of doing something that has a broader reach, that has more impact. I mean, even just... You know, no blog is just put out because we want to write something. Every blog has intentionality. It's based on research of, like, what are people searching for? Like, if you open up Google and you type in a question, it'll auto-populate different things. And when you start getting into religious topics, you can see what people are searching for and where people are struggling. 
And these are conversations that people are having. So it's not only are we equipping people to answer those conversations, it's equipping people that are searching for those conversations to have. That's good. So it, it really is an incredible way to share the gospel without being in your face of people. It, yeah. it really is a much more subtle way of doing it, but I feel it's way more impactful because we're meeting people where they are and we're answering their questions. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard it called the digital reformation mm. is what we're living in right yes. now. So exciting. So Lance, with your degree, experience, skill set, vocationally, there's a lot of career paths open. So for you to be here at Christ Church, excited about the things that you're excited about, it's, it's truly a calling. And so I would love to hear, hear your testimony and faith story of how uh, we've heard how you've gotten into this seat externally, but kind of internally, what led you to being in this seat? Yeah, yeah, sure. So kind of like I was saying, I, I grew up in the church with my dad being a minister. I was there pretty much every single time the doors were unlocked and the lights were on. A lot of times when the doors were light, locked and the lights were off, we were up there. Uh, so I kind of felt like I was essentially grandfathered into Christianity. It kind of felt like because I was so inundated with it in my life that I was just a Christian by virtue. However, when I was 12, I went to a, a children's camp and I felt a tug on me, so I, I walked the aisle, made the public profession of faith, but I really struggled with remaining true to myself. It was, you know, I, I craved originality and was much more concerned with being myself rather than who God wanted me to be. It was kind of a classic example of having your cake and eating it too. It's like I wanted fire insurance, but I didn't want to pay the monthly deductible on it. So in the summer following my senior high school graduation, uh, within about a month's time, I had three life-altering moments that kind of reshaped my faith. The first one was my girlfriend of two years broke up with me. Second was all of my good friends went away to college. Many of them went out of state, and I was left behind going to a community college. And the third thing was I, I witnessed firsthand the fallen character of multiple leaders within the church that I was attending. So those things all pointed to issues within humanity, yet in my naivety, I ascribed them all to God. And the way that I was looking at it was, I had tried to be who God wanted me to be, and look where I ended up. It was the wrong perspective, but that's the way I was viewing it. And so I was left heartbroken and disenchanted. And so craving originality and being true to myself, I sought to just recover who I was in the face of my circumstances and rediscover myself. So I walked away from God. I didn't want anything to do with Him, and I really wanted to distance myself. So I started a new personality as well as just rebelling in some fairly dark ways. And that lasted about three years. And in retrospect, I can see how God moved in that time and was really setting me up to, to refine my faith and to make it real. But I can, I can point to two specific events during that time that really realigned my path in some ways. So the first one was my junior year which is two, of college, which was 2009. Like most good stories, I met a girl. And she was a Christian, so I wanted to impress her. So I, I knew to impress a Christian girl, you put on the mask, you put on the facade, and I knew how to do it well. So I did that, and soon after, we kind of developed a thing and started hanging out. And then the second thing was, like I mentioned, I was a reporter for the Daily Mississippian, and there was a church that was meeting in a bar on the square on Sunday nights, and that's pretty odd in and of itself. So they assigned me the story. So I, I interviewed the pastor, and at the end of the call, he said, 
Lance, why don't you come check us out Sunday night when, if you can? I, I and just out of morbid curiosity and also wanting to impress this girl, I agreed. I took her after the service. I went up, introduced myself to him, and I think he could instantly see through who I was trying to be. He took me. He kind of he just started discipling me really and truly and. He, you know, he would ask me to go to lunch. We would just talk. He would ask questions, and I never had a Christian engage me in that way. It was yeah. a very open relationship in the sense of like just being free to share what I felt and not feel feeling shame in my responses. So those two things really started it. But then, you know, the relationship with that girl continued. But I was kind of developing things and questioning things, and so that semester. For some reason in my music fandom, I was highly engaged with Al Green's music. I don't know why, but I was really into it. And when I learned that he was a pastor at a church in South Memphis, I was like, I got to go check this out. So the first Sunday of Thanksgiving break, I, I drove up to Memphis and attended his church. And it, it was really one of the most soul-enriching experiences I've ever had. It was The band was absolutely killer. There was people dancing in the aisles. People were just having i mean it was just a full-on joyful experience and then al green got up there and started sharing a sermon and it was just very much a spirit-led sermon and he said something that has stuck with me to today but it really made an impact that day and, I, and i'm not a quotes person like I, I don't get into quotes at all like they don't do much for me but he said if god never blesses me again i have no reason to complain because he's already blessed me far more than i ever deserved and so while i was driving i had a three-hour drive to my parents house after that service and while I was making that drive God just really started pushing on me like hey it's time to get real dude like you got to start getting real about your faith so about two weeks later I was back at school and uh, I learned that the girl that I had been seeing was seeing someone else <laughs> she was actually highly highly serious with this other guy uh, like they're married now kind of serious uh, and so to me at the time it was it was a lot of hurt because a Christian had lied to me. It wasn't necessarily that I had been cheated on. It was that a Christian had lied to me. And as someone who was new in this faith and experiencing Christianity again, it was, it, it was such a reminder of everything that I'd gone through in high school and the, the fallibility of humanity. But that's when God really came through and was like, hey, Lance, people are valuable, but I am not. I'm infallible. He really pressed on me, like, when your identity is in me, you know, you don't have anything to worry about. I'm not going to let you down like that. And that and that was really the moment where, I, I hate the term, but I'm going to use it, like I rededicated, I rediscovered my faith. And it was through this refining process that God brought me to the spot where I can acknowledge like God's there for us and he's not going to let us down like people will. Yeah, that's so good. Lance, how do you feel like that struggle with trust and with the church, how do you feel like that's affecting your faith today? That's a really great question. I think it, it's made me more empathetic. Like I, I struggled with empathy just in general. You can ask my wife. I, I'm not a very empathetic person. But I, I think had I not gone through that process, I don't think there, there's certain people groups that I can speak to and understand where they're at now. Like a lot of times at concerts, like I go by myself and I'll end up striking up a conversation with my neighbor and when I hear their lostness and when they talk about the things that they're looking for in the concert, I can relate to that and I can understand where they're coming from. To me, it's opened my eyes to, to being more empathetic to people and understanding where they are and just truly 
truthfully, like the deep hurt that the church can cause and being there for people to say like, hey, I may mess up, but God's not going to mess up for you. When you put your faith in him and not other Christians, that's going to open up a whole new realm for you in terms of developing your faith. And so I, I think to me, it's just the ability to relate to people and understand where they're coming from. And again, like going back to why we do these blogs and things like that, it's to reach people where they are. And you're not going to do that by shouting at them online. You're going to do that by answering their questions and being there for them, waiting for when they're ready to ask and when they're ready to talk. Well, Lance, you mentioned two bad breakups, Mm -hmm. but I know that's not how your story ends because you mentioned your wife. So tell me about (laughs) <laughs> about Anna. So, uh, yes, my sweet wife, Anna. We met while I was at Ole Miss. This was after all those other breakups, of course. We met by chance. I was actually on a blind date the day that we met. Uh, we met, and it was a Grove pre-football game date, and I met the girl in the Grove and wasn't clicking at all. And so I texted some friends. I'm like, hey, save me a seat at the game. Uh, they did not save me a seat at the game. And so when I got there, I had to sit several rows behind them. Ended up sitting next to this girl, and I sat down. I was like, oh, man, she's cute. I, I got to holler at her. And it took me two and a half quarters to finally work up the courage, and I finally spoke to her sometime in the third. Turns out we were literally next-door neighbors. Like, I was apartment A, she was apartment B. And so that, you know, I was instantly like, I got to I gotta start talking to this girl, and uh, it took a while for her to come around, but she finally decided, to, and she'll deny that, but it did. She she refused to talk to me for like a solid month, and we started talking and hanging out, and the first night that we actually hung out, we stayed up until like four in the morning just talking, and it was just one of those moments of like, I, I've met somebody, and we took our time, but we fell in love and dated for several years, and you know now we're married, and we decided to settle in Memphis because... We would often just be in Ole Miss, just right down the road. We would come up for Grizzlies games and just different things for our date nights. So we fell in love with the city and decided to move here. Great. What's something that you love about Anna? She's understanding. I think a lot of people don't understand why I go to so many concerts or why I have this passion for music. And I get a lot of weird looks when I tell people the music I'm into and what I do. And a lot of people just don't understand it. But she doesn't necessarily understand it, but she understands me and understands that it's something that I love. So therefore, she's more accepting of it and just kind of is like, this is something you love. I don't want to take that away from you. So she's really great. And I mean, she's she's a doctor and, and she relates to her patients that way as well as kind of on getting on their level in a lot of ways. Like, I know one of the things that she's constantly she's complimented on her like bedside manner and just how she relates to her patients. And a lot of patients return to her because of that. So I I think just her, her kindness and her, just her way of understanding people is really outstanding. That's great. Uh, And kids Uh, on the way, got a bun in the oven. Uh, We have a daughter expected June 9th. So sometime right around when this episode is dropping, we'll either, have a baby at home already or on the way. So yeah, we have a, our first daughter will be coming. Her name will be Margaret Ryman. We're going to call her Maggie. And yes, Ryman is inspired by the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville. It's my favorite <laughs> venue. So there is definitely some inspiration there. But yeah, so daughter on the way. Very cool. What's something that's uh, exciting you about becoming a dad? Man, it, it's such a weird like season right now of just like, saying goodbye to just being my wife and I 
but also just the excitement of knowing we get to pour into this little person and you know, I have high hopes that she'll be a music fan and that we get to go to lots of concerts together and that we get to do all the things. But I, I mean, I think it's really just like I see other people with their children, like I get to hang out with you and your son. And it, it just excites me to, to develop that relationship and to pour in and invest in my own creation in some yeah. ways. Yeah. Well, let's let's wrap it up full circle with this. What will Maggie's first song be? Or if you've already got it planned out, first concert i mean technically she's been to a few concerts like she's been to a few in the womb already she'll be going to taylor swift pretty soon uh so she's gonna get the full spectrum of concerts my wife has actually been playing my wife's favorite artist is elton john and mag she says that maggie responds to elton john incredibly well every time she plays uh unfortunately elton doesn't tour anymore so that won't be an option for the first concert but uh realistically first concerts will probably be at the overton park shell uh, something that's free and accessible where she can run around and have a good time as well. You know, I'm hoping that it would be something cool, like one of my favorite bands, but realistically, it'll it'll just be whatever she's into, and we'll push her towards that. Awesome. Lance, thanks so much. I appreciate it, Grant. Thank you.